You are listening to the audio from Life Community Church, located in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about our ministry or to financially support God's ministry through us, please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org. Today, Pastor Ryan McAllister will take us through 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the series The Sling, the Sword, and the Song. We will now join Pastor Ryan McAllister to deliver the message. We are in the book of 2 Samuel today. Uh, that's right, we've uh, jumped into 2 Samuel. We were in 1 Samuel, uh, but now we have moved on to another portion of the life of David, found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is God's covenant with David. This section of scripture is one of the most referred back to sections in all of scripture. This is an important chapter, not only in the life of David, but in the plan of God for all people. David is a linchpin in this plan that God has for the world. David is an important figure, but as important as David is, David still, in comparison to the Lord, is not the main character. Yes, we're talking about the life of David. We are going to specific instances in his life. But as you will see, all of these things are going back to the one sovereign king over everything, the Lord God Almighty. So will you join me as we are in first, or 2 Samuel chapter 7? To give you just a slight background before this, the chapters before this chapter 7 go over many different things. In the beginning of 2 Samuel, Saul has died. Eventually, and by that way it is eventually, David is crowned the king over all of Israel. First, it's just Judah that recognizes him, but then several years later, all of Israel recognizes him. And in chapter 5, that's when he is anointed as the king over all of Israel. He defeats the Philistines at the end of that chapter, and then the ark of God is brought in chapter 6 to Jerusalem. There is a kind of a a little bump in the road, and if you know the story, that, that would be a funny joke. Um, there's a little bump in the road that happens. Uh, The ark of God is being carried on a cart, and literally there's a bump. The oxen stumbles. A priest reaches out, touches the ark. He's killed. That frightens everyone. It angers David. They actually leave the ark in another place for a while, and then eventually at the end of chapter 6, the ark is brought into Jerusalem. And then we are given this section. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Now, when the king lived in the house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. 
Here, in these first three verses, we get the king's concern. You'll notice that David is referred to as the king. He is referred to as the royal. One of the things that's really interesting is that um, you, you have this understanding. It says that the Lord had given them rest from the surrounding enemies. Peace had been achieved in Israel. Peace had been achieved. Now, something you should know is that chapter 7 doesn't chronologically fall directly after chapter 6. It follows thematically after chapter 6, but most likely chapter 7 happens in the latter half of David's life, probably after chapters 8 and 10 specifically. Chapter 8 actually goes on to list all of the victories of David. And so we are given this glimpse because there is a theme that God wants us to see. Because although peace is achieved, the objective is still ahead. It's not all said and done. The objective is still ahead. David's reign had been established and it had been secured by the Lord because he was, li- he was living in a house. This is actually a cedar house, a palace that was made for him. And actually it says, that, it says in your translation or in the ESV, it says, the Lord had given him rest. And that is literally the Lord had caused him to rest. This is from God's hand. This is not from David's victories as if David was the one who caused the peace. The Lord worked through David to, being, to bring that rest and that peace. These threats had been neutralized for the time being. And in David's mind, his, his understanding as he looks out on this peaceful kingdom, he says, God's promise has been attained. Exodus 33.14 says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Joshua 1.13 says, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. This promise was given to the people of Israel that the land of Canaan would become their land. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey. It would be their promised land, one where they would have rest from their enemies. But there was a long period of time where there was wars and there was fighting. You had the period of the judges where the people would go their own way and then God would raise up a judge and they would defeat the enemies and then there would be a time of peace and then the people would go their own way and then the enemies would take over Israel and the people would cry out and then he would raise up a judge then he would defeat the enemies and there would be a little bit of peace and then the people would go their own way and then they would get taken over by their enemies and you get the idea. And there was this turmoil throughout the land but now David, it seems, David has finally achieved what they were all waiting for, a peace from their enemies. But this is merely in David's eyes. This is how David sees the situation. Interestingly enough, Nathan, who is the prophet, who is supposed to be speaking the word of the Lord to the people, when David tells him this concern he sees. We've achieved peace. And I'm living high and mighty in this palace, but God's living in a tent. I have opulence and God has ordinariness. I live in comfort and the Lord lives 
in a tent, a thing made to be picked up and moved, not a seat of permanence. And if the peace has been achieved, something doesn't feel right here. And Nathan just tells David, go do all that's in your heart for the Lord is with you. But that wasn't the word of the Lord. That was the word of Nathan. What we find next is the Lord's concern. What we find next is what the Lord is actually concerned about. You see, David sees his house was splendid. He sees that God's tabernacle seemed too humble for the king of kings. David has this good concern in his heart. I want to tell you this. This is not a bad thing that David is desiring. This concern is coming from a desire to honor the true king. He wants to honor God. Because he recognizes that although he's recognized as king of Israel, the true king is still Yahweh, is still the Lord. David truly wants to honor God. And Nathan sees nothing wrong with that intention. But let's read verses 4 through 7 to see the Lord's correction. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up out of uh, out, uh, up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house out of cedar? The word of the Lord comes to Nathan. You see, the Lord corrects intentions with truth. The Lord corrects intentions with truth. We have limited knowledge and sight. We're finite beings. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, None of you are infinite. All of you are finite. But we worship a God who is infinite. You see, the The all of the world looks at the outward appearance of a man, we remember in 1 Samuel 16, but the Lord looks upon the heart. The Lord sees beyond what people see. The Lord doesn't look the same way that you and I do at any given situation. And so we must always go to the Lord to see what he sees. Finite beings lack the depth of knowledge and understanding that the infinite one has. Intentions matter. They really do. In fact, when we learn about how God views the commandments he gives, Jesus instructs us that it's not just mere basic adherence to the law that really matters. Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say that if you even call your brother an idiot, You've committed murder in your heart. Intention and the way of the heart matters. But obedience is still the goal that we should all have. Going back to chapter 6, when the ark was being transported from 
Abinadad's house, which it had been since the day when the Philistines had returned the ark to Israel. Since that time, it had been in his house. And David knew that that wasn't good. He wanted to honor the Lord to bring it to its proper place in the tabernacle. And so David because he has won all these wars, because he is now king, he says, let's get the ark, let's take it to Jerusalem where we will have it housed in the tabernacle. David then placed the, cart, uh, placed the ark on a new cart because he wanted to honor God. He wanted to give him his best. He wanted to do the right thing by the Lord. But if you remember, and maybe you don't because many of us, a lot of these things kind of go past us. In the book of Numbers, we're given two instructions about how to handle the Ark of Covenant, the people of Israel are. Number one, in Numbers 4.15, it says, do not touch the holy things. Don't touch them. You are not to do that. The only people that are able to go anywhere near that are the priests, and especially the high priest. And number two, in chapter 7, verse 9, it says that the ark, when it's transported, shall be carried upon the shoulders. That means that there are some poles, and they carry it upon the shoulders. What do you notice that happens in this story? Number one, it's put on a cart and dragged by oxen. That is not how the ark is supposed to be carried. It is supposed to be carried by the sons of Korah, on the shoulders. And it is not to be touched. What happens? The oxen trips, the cart bumps, the ark begins to fall, and the priest reaches out his hand to stop it, and all of us go, that sounds great. His intentions were good. He was trying to honor God, but he forgot obedience. He forgot all of these steps up to that point where it actually made the ark fall. The priest reaches out. He touches it. Everyone sighs in relief. Oh, it didn't fall. Praise God. Good moment. And then the procession keeps going. And all of a sudden, Uzzah's on the ground, the priest. And they're like, what's wrong with him? Is he sleeping on the job? The Lord struck him dead. And confusion breaks out. The songs and the, the, the joy that had once been because the ark was coming back to the tabernacle now turned into dread. It was rem reminiscent of when the ark had been returned. And suddenly, many people were killed because they weren't handling the ark properly again. Intentions matter, but obedience is the true goal of all of us. You know, it's interesting, this, this story of the ark being returned, it seems to really match up well with this intention by David to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord actually says, is this for you to do? Did I ask you to do this? Did I instruct you to make me a house of cedar? In all 
places where I have moved with all the people of Israel did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? He's never said that. You know, as someone who likes to come up with ideas and projects, I really like ideas. I like to generate ideas. I like to think about things and new ways to do stuff. I like dreaming a little bit. One of the pitfalls that you can easily fall into is you can think that God needs your project. Oh, this is really something God needs. God really needs me to do this. I really need to do this thing. I mean, it's a good thing, right? I, I want to I do this thing over here, and I want to create this thing, and it's a really good thing. So, I mean, obviously God's going to bless it immediately. He's going to be a wow. That was such a good idea. I could have never thought of that on my own. God doesn't need your project or my project. The prophet Micah reminds us, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? God doesn't need our projects. God needs us to listen and obey. God needs us to be faithful. So that moves us into verse 8, where the Lord's promise comes into play. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I, will make, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they will, may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from this time that I appointed judges over, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the visions, Nathan spoke to David. The Lord is behind all of David's success. He said, I took you from the pasture where you were following after sheep. 
And I made you a prince, a leader. That's what that word means, by the way. That word prince means a leader of my people, Israel. Now you once went from following sheep, and now you lead the people of Israel. And I cut down all of your enemies. It was the Lord. The Lord was the one who was behind it all. At every point of success, the Lord is the determining factor. Not David, not his mightiness, not his handsomeness, not his wit, not anything about David other than his obedience to what the Lord had given to him to do. The Lord is the one who brings David's success. And notice through uh, verses 9 through 15, the Lord begins to tell David, you wanted to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And in fact, I've already started. He says to him, I will make for you a great name. This immediately harkens back to another man who God made a promise to. A God made a promise to make him a great name. Genesis 12, verse 2. In Genesis 12, verse 2, God is speaking to Abraham. And he tells him, I will make a great name of you. Oh, I th- did I not put it in my notes? Sorry about that. I'll find it now in the Bible. There we go. Okay. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. This promise that God gives to Abraham is being continued through Abraham's descendant, David, where he tells him, I will make your name great. And notice that the Lord says, I will. This is all the Lord's doing. Number two, I will appoint a place for my people. Exodus 15, 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. He is appointing a place for his people. He is planting them in that place. This is, again, the Lord's doing. And he also says that the people will be disturbed no more. What's interesting is that this promise, David thought, had come to pass. David thought, we're here. We've arrived. We've done it. All the enemies are defeated. But this is something that the Lord is promising for the future. This has not yet happened. David doesn't know what's about to happen in his life. David doesn't know what's about to happen in his family. He thought he made it. But the Lord tells him, no, there will be a time, though, that they will be disturbed no more. And what does he also say? I will give you rest. Again, it says that David was living in the house that he had been built, the cedar house, and he was at rest. He thought that this was this, but this was just a small rest. But there's a greater rest that is coming for the people of Israel. There's a greater rest that is coming for the people of the promise. And it is not yet. It's still in the future. And he also says, I will raise up your offspring. This now points 
God's been pointing to the future. I will uh, give you rest. The people will be disturbed no more. Yes, this is in the future, but just to cement this, he says, I will raise up your offspring. All of this would not be accomplished in David's lifetime. David wouldn't be alive to see this promise completed and fulfilled. This promise initially given to Abraham now being renewed and refined within David and it is going to continue on past David. In verses 16 and 17, he gives this promise. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, when the Lord gives a promise, it is secure and it is eternal. And when David is given this promise, he is shown that this is not just for him, but this is, a, this is for his offspring. This is for his descendants. And what he doesn't know quite yet is that this promise will be completed and fulfilled within one of his descendants. One man, one that is above all the rest, one that all the promises lead to, one that all of the indications throughout the law, everything that God is doing is leading towards this one man, this one son of David, this one king, this one savior, Jesus Christ. After David hears this, he does something very interesting. Beginning of this chapter, it says that the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest. But now we get to verse 18 through 21. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. David started by living in his house. He's heard the word of the Lord. He's heard correction. He's heard the promise of God. And that drives him to sit before the Lord. To go from the cedar house to the, what he thought was the, the humble abode of the tabernacle. The linen tent. But he realizes, who am I, O oh Lord? I'm not someone great. I don't come from a great line. I don't, I don't do all these things. I know you're the source of these things. The king humbled himself before God. He heard of what God was doing. He heard 
his intentions being corrected towards obedience, and he humbled himself. It's what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves before God and not seek out our own way, even if our intentions are great. Even if we have these grand, majestic plans, we always should come and sit before the Lord and be humble to remember exactly who we are. We are His creatures. We are the people of His pasture. We are not the grand and the great. We are the low and the humble. And this is our attitude that we should have. We should emulate David in this. This is one of the things that makes David stand out as an individual and the thing that we can learn about him the most. You know, it's not... It's not that David was perfect. (laughs) David's not perfect. He is far from it. Even though he has good intentions, you know, he has a a good heart. But we learn through the life of Saul, and if you came to Bible study this morning, you would have heard about the beginnings of Saul, and you could have seen uh, in 1 Samuel 9 and 10 how Saul, he kind of stands out differently than than the other sons that you learn about in the first part of 1 Samuel. Uh, the f- couple of sons that you learn about are sons of Eli and the sons of Samuel, and they kind of stink. Uh, they're not the greatest sons in the world. But Saul suddenly looks kind of cool because Saul is a dutiful son. He's actually listening to his father. He's trying to do what his father wants him to do. But you start to see some cracks in his character that Saul is just completely spiritually unaware of what's going on around him. He doesn't even know that he's going near where Samuel is. He's looking for these donkeys and like goes by Samuel's area and has zero clue. Zero clue that there's Samuel. The greatest man in Israel since Moses is there. It's like you like wandering by the White House and going, that's weird. Why is there a big White House over there? You have no idea what's happening. You're just completely unaware of what's happening. And Saul, you start to see that there are these cracks in his character and he fails because he always tries to go and do things his way. He, yeah, he wants to try to kind of honor God. He wants to kind of honor his father, but he's uncommitted to finding those donkeys. He's uncommitted to heeding the word of Samuel. He's uncommitted to doing things the way that God lays out. But David, David has good intentions. David really wants to do right, but he still is not seeing things the way that God sees them. And when he is corrected, the thing that stands out about David is he goes and humbles himself before God. He doesn't complain. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't say, but you don't understand. I was trying to do a good thing, God. David doesn't go to God and say, God, but I was just, why are you, why are you saying no? Like, I'm just trying to be good and do a nice thing. No, he humbles himself before the Lord. Oh my. But also David, the king, he worships God. When his intentions are corrected with truth, he humbles himself and he worships God. We are created for worship. This is our purpose, to know, love, and serve the Lord. And so when we are corrected, when when we go before the Lord and we are humbled, we worship him. We lift his name high. Notice how David speaks to the Lord. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, 
You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. I encourage you to read the rest of that chapter because David just goes on and on about the greatness of the Lord. And it shows what worship is truly like, uh, telling and saying the truth about the Lord. But lastly, notice how David in this prayer trusts the promise of God. When God promises something, he doesn't promise like a man. You know, parents, you're probably well familiar with this. Sometimes you'll make a promise and maybe you'll forget or maybe circumstances come up with your kids and you can't follow through. If you do this, we'll go to Disney World. And then you're like, oh man, it's so expensive. They'll forget about it later. God doesn't promise like that. See, like, like I said before, we're finite. Sometimes we overpromise, don't we? We overpromise on what we can pull off. But God doesn't overpromise. God doesn't ever give a promise that he is not going to fulfill because God is not a human being. God is infinite. He knows all. He sees all. He is sovereign over all. And when he makes a promise, we can trust it. We can trust it with everything that we have. Even if we can't see the end. Even if we can't see what's going to happen. Even if we don't get a moment like David, where a prophet comes to us and tells us the exact nature of the promise. Where he comes and tells us, hey, your name is going to be great. But God has definitely made you a promise. I will never leave nor forsake you. If you trust in me, you have eternal life. God has promised us so much. And we need to trust him. We need to humble ourselves before him. We need to worship him. And we need to trust in his promises. So today as we end our time in God's word, I want to encourage you and implore you to trust in his promises today. To trust him. Is there an area of your life, is there a part of your heart that you are not willing to trust God with? Are you barring him away? And saying, you know what? I can't see. I'm not sure. I'm not going to trust on this. I'm just going to go my own way, even if it's with a good intention. Are you not trusting God somewhere? Well, today is a great day to trust Him. Today is a great day to follow Him. To leave behind what you perceive as your good intentions and pursue obedience, adherence to his word, faithfulness to his call. Today is a great day to trust the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your reminders and your word today. A reminder to trust, to be humble, to worship. 
reminder that you don't need our projects. You need our obedience, our faithfulness to you. That's what you desire, that we would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. God, as we end this time, this service this morning, may we remember these things. May we pursue after you. If there's anyone who is here who has never trusted you before, who has never uh, said that they would want to follow after you, I, I ask that you would speak to them this morning, that you would be for them a sure promise, that you would, uh, you would work in their heart to trust you, God. Not because they're great, but because you are great. Not because they are an amazing person, but because you are an amazing God. And God, we, we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Life Community Church Alexandria. We believe there should be no anonymous Christians, so we would love for you to visit and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org for more information. Thank you very much, and God bless.